0: I am a singer songwriter from upstate New York, currently residing in Rochester, New York, and I run a podcast production agency. I help um, podcasters produce shows and and really ultimately we aim to produce stuff that's kind of like NPR style production. Um, So a lot of the shows that we work on are more narrative focused or like documentary style podcasts versus interviews.
1: This is Musicians Can Thrive A podcast community for anyone seeking to make money in the music industry Musicians, audio engineers, managers, producers, booking agents Everyone across all niches Welcome My name is Gabrielle I'm a singer-songwriter These stories are for you I hope they'll help you find new ways to thrive as a musician. Like many musicians, Arison and I met through a mutual friend. When I was recording my EP, he was kind enough to give feedback and mentor me. He's a prime example of a musician who's created a life where they can thrive. In today's episode, we discuss how getting creative with your merch can help you reframe the way that you approach selling and making money from your music. We also discuss things like the hopes and dreams phase, and the way that learning skills not directly related to music can make your art more successful.
0: So I started, um, the, the reason I got into podcast work is because I originally applied for a remote job working for a podcast production agency, kind of similar to what I'm doing now. And I got that job and basically I, I worked there for not super long, about six months. And it actually was not like, I loved working on the podcast. I, I, as a musician, um, like I spent a lot of time in recording studios and stuff like that. I loved working on the audio side of the podcast. I love working with the hosts, but I didn't love the agency I was working for. And I didn't agree with a lot of what they were doing in terms of like the model of that agency was essentially a productized service business, which means that from a business perspective, this is really smart. they, we're trying to get as many clients as possible and do almost nothing custom for the shows. So the amount of work that I was able to spend on each show that I was working on, I always just felt like I was half-assing 100 projects. And sometimes I was working on like 30 plus podcasts a week Wow. And I just couldn't I couldn't devote the time to them that I really wanted to. And so it actually really stressed me out. I had a kind of a health scare. And my wife was like, "You can't do this anymore." (laughs) And so I didn't do it anymore. I left the company. I put in my notice. Basically, um, she she had convinced me because I'm I'm kind of a workaholic. Like, if somebody gives me thirty projects, I'm just going to find a way to do them. But I wasn't sleeping. I had gotten sick. I had like was working myself to basically sickness to try to do this job, and. The boss was also kind of a jerk. Like he just kind of sucked and he didn't care about making the shows good. He didn't care about making them better. He just wanted to work on as many shows as possible. And I fundamentally like the type of content I like to make, both podcasts and music. And I'm going to talk about my music um at some point I hope, but
1: <laughs> you'll
0: well, don't worry. Well, I'm sure. At some like <laughs> I like to make things that take a long time. I like to make things that are at a high level. And I just I love creating. I have like tons of creative outlets in my life. Producing podcasts is like it's it just like triggers this part of my brain I think in a positive way that just makes me feel like I'm helping build something and also like as a musician a solo artist especially I felt like most of my, throughout most of my career as a musician, I just wished I had some guidance. And when I meet people who are working on podcasts that are like really creative projects and they need guidance, I see myself in them because I'm just like, man, I wish that I had somebody who knew how to do all this stuff. Just explain it to me when I was a a musician early on in my career, you know? So I like, I love helping people. I've produced albums too. Um, and that process is surprisingly similar, um, because it's trying to get the best performance out of somebody a lot of times. And and that's like the same skill Um, so yeah, I think that there's a lot of crossover there, but basically I fundamentally wanted to devote a lot of time to these projects and I wasn't able to do it. When I left this agency, one of the clients was like, well, we just want you. Can you just be our guy? And I said, okay. So I left the agency and I took the client with me and not intentionally, that wasn't my intention in leaving. But I was like, okay, well, this will at least help kind of tide me over while I'm looking for more work. Because, um, uh, again, as a musician, you just take on any side project you can. Um, and i have been working remotely for different companies for a while. I worked remotely for Uber for a little while. It was interesting. Like I just, whatever remote work I could find, I was taking. So I took the gig and I was, became their engineer on their podcast. And at the same time, they were trying to transition into something that required a lot more production, a lot more effort, more scripted, more documentary style. And I just loved it. I sunk my teeth into it and I haven't looked back. That's like primarily what. I do for a living now. I mean, I have some other sources of income. I, I recently started a clothing line, which is like a print to order drop shipping business, kind of um, just to try to get some like recurring revenue without having um, without having to do like a lot of work. So I'm basically just making shirt designs and I've set up a storefront. And when people buy them, it gets print printed and shipped it's kind of like um it's kind of like yeah it's basically just a print to order um but it's through this service called printify which i'm also using to do my band merch now so there's uh a lot of these skill sets kind of are it's very incestuous i don't know if that's a good word to use but that's kind <laughs> of like my my a lot of my skill sets i just use for everything um
1: It seems to benefit you.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird. I I said this to one of my clients the other day. We were talking about like marketing stuff, and I had this realization. I don't know. It was probably a year or two ago. A light bulb went off over my head, and I said, "Everything is the exact same shit." (laughs) And what I mean by that is that marketing, music, marketing, a podcast production—like literally all these skills—to these being creative, like creating things, those skills transcend mediums. So once you figure out how to create and market something, you can create and market anything. And it's like, you know, there's some obvious like variation between those things, but you know, to produce a podcast and market a podcast or to create a clothing company that I'm like marketing on social media or whatever, those things are like, it's just, you, there's all these skill sets that are similar. Um, and I just love it. I love finding new ways to do stuff. I love, I love the marketing side of music too. That's a big part. Of it. And we, again, we haven't even talked about music stuff. So I'll, uh, yeah, I should probably stop talking.
1: <laughs> it's okay. I honestly, I, I love hearing about all of it and I don't know how much, I can't remember how much I talked about it in my emails that I send out, but Basically, I started working on this podcast last summer, right as I was in the midst of coming to terms with the fact that this dream that I had nursed since I was like 12 years old wasn't actually the life that I wanted to live. And even though I had put upwards of 10 years into figuring out how to build a career as a musician and thinking about it and strategizing and like making all these secret plans in my bedroom, um, you know, I, I even went so far as to make a record and to say, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to look back like no matter what, this is what I'm doing. And then less than a year later, after I'd had some experiences playing some shows, booking them, kind of trying to start promoting the record I had made, I realized um, and this is also part of going to South by Southwest in 2018. And I took a class from a wonderful man at the community college in Austin about the record industry and kind of what it was like in this modern DIY world. And I realized, you know, this isn't what I really want to do. I have to swallow my old hurts and pride. And podcasting came along at like the perfect time because I love creating. I can't stop creating. I have to make something. Otherwise, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, And podcasting just, I mean, on the one hand, it helps me get out all those strategies and thoughts and plans that I've been hatching. I can help other musicians think about those things, but also I just get to get into the nitty gritty of the audio engineering that I secretly really enjoy, even though it gets tedious after a bit. It's
0: nerdy, but I I love it too, actually. I still like there's projects I work on where I have a couple audio engineers now that I I work with um, that are basically on my team. And Mm -hmm. um, there's still stuff that I do just because I love doing it, like projects that I work on that I, I... my problem as a as an entrepreneur, I guess, that's not a word I really like to use, but it is kind of what I am. I'd say it's definitely what you are. Uh, my problem is that I don't delegate well in bands and in business. Mm. I have a hard time delegating tasks. I just want to do everything. It's like the workaholic tendencies. I just want to do everything. So frequently, I find myself still kind of sticking my nose into the audio portion of projects that I shouldn't be in and stuff like that. It's bad. It's something I'm I'm trying to come to terms with, but yeah, you mentioned, um, that you kind of like gave up on a dream. Like, and that's, I, I feel kind of like, there's something I, I feel like some, um, connection to that phrase, but in a different way, I think maybe than, than you would think. Um, I'm all ears. Yeah. I was just having a conversation uh, yesterday with somebody that I, we are auditioning as a guitar player. So I'm in a band. It's called Backyard Wrestling. That's what I'm doing primarily right now um, from a music standpoint. We um, we put out an EP last year, had some success with it. We got to do some really cool stuff, make some really cool music videos. A marginal success, though. Nothing like huge, like we're not making a ton of money on it um, yet, but... I, at one phase in my career, um, as a younger musician, I was signed to like an upstart record label. I moved to Los Angeles and lived there for five years. I packed a bag with nothing in it. I had $6 in my pocket when I got there. And I just was like, I've got this dream or whatever. And these people want to help me make, make this dream come true. And it ended up being an experience that. I'll try to not say anything incriminating about some of the people involved, but I got ripped off for a lot of money as is very common in the music industry. Um, The person that I had been working with, like one of the people got caught stealing a bunch of money from the record label and it folded and it was this whole thing. Um, And basically I was SOL um, with Like, and basically had to, like out of necessity, had to start finding other ways to make money because I was working as a musician at that point. Um, But I was now in debt because I had fronted a bunch of money for stuff and the label didn't have money anymore. And this guy who I trusted, who has huge credits, worked on big records, engineered my favorite album, Weezer's Pinkerton. He was the engineer on that record, or one of the engineers. But I trusted this guy because he had history in the music industry and I got ripped off and that's a hard thing to come to terms with. It probably took me years to come to terms with that. I had to like completely stop everything and suddenly pay off like 10 grand in debt that I had accumulated because this guy stole our money basically. So that was difficult. I got a job, um, selling motorhomes at an RV dealership. And I got really, really good, like really fucking good at selling motorhomes at an RV dealership. And I paid my debt off within about a year. Wow. Which was crazy. Yeah. Um, And then started saving money to make the record myself. Because at the same time, um, once this person had been discovered, it had been discovered that he stole this money, I was right in the thick of this situation, was right in the middle of it. I had to tell the person running the record label, who is my friend and is still my friend. I had to tell him this guy that we both trusted, he stole money from you. I found it out and I had to go to my friend and tell him this. And so the guy that stole the money, the engineer, deleted my record out of spite. (gasps) It was... Months and months of work that I had done in the studio is just lost. So then I, I I literally lost years of my career and my work because of this situation. So I paid off all this debt and then I immediately started saving money and basically making my own record and financing it myself. And I was having this conversation again last night with this guitar player that we're auditioning. He said, I'm old, like I I've had the hopes and dreams phase of my career. And I've had that phase. I did that. I had the hopes and dreams phase. But I have this idea, I guess, that once you get rid of the hopes and dreams stuff, the wishful thinking, once you can kind of release yourself from that, then the world's your oyster. Because everything becomes realistic. It doesn't mean you have to stop playing music. It doesn't mean you have to stop creating. like. Just because I think in my like early 20s, I thought someone was gonna save me. I thought like some record label was gonna find my music and say, Arison Kane, this is the greatest songwriter in the world. You will pay for your, you know, we're like it's right to the top with you, or whatever. (laughs) You know that sound you're looking for? Like the, I just I don't know. I think that I thought. Um, that that would happen, that someone would come along and save me. Um, and what I realized was that the only way to actually be like a successful, and it depends on your definition of what that success is, is to figure out how to do stuff yourself or delegate stuff yourself. and just like it seems so easy that, you know, or it seems so simple, like, oh yeah, just do it yourself or whatever. But, and everyone says, DIY, do it yourself, bro. But realistically, like I learned from that point on, I learned how to book all my own stuff. I learned how to, um, engineer my own music, which I had, I had, I've been working as an audio engineer on and off, um, for a long time, but I learned how to engineer my own sessions. Basically I've, found ways to like, I bought, I have a whole studio in my house now, um, which is so it's like so easy in this day and age to do that, but um, easier than it was. I learned how to design shirts and design all of our merch and get it all printed myself and just finance everything myself and, and be smart about like work smarter and not harder because as that I have those workaholic tendencies, like I want to just work as hard as I can and that should fix it. But realistically, you have to kind of work smarter, not harder. And again, so basically at that point, like having to give up on the hopes and dreams stuff actually freed me to have to like start pursuing a realistic career as a working musician and creator.
1: That sounds like a much needed transition and one that was really powerful. (laughs) I didn't know you had that. that. Oh, absolutely. I've never heard this phrase of the hopes and dreams phase. But now that you put a name to that, it brings a lot of things into context for me, either with other musicians that I've seen just because I was interested and I watched their career or because they were my friends or even... um, I mean, my own transition, I part of what made the swallowing the old hearts and pride so difficult was because I had this idea in my head that you can either be a musician and like have that be your career and make good money off of it or you don't. And people don't take you seriously because they're like, oh, you're just some weekend musician or whatever. Or there is this idea in my head that like I couldn't make music as much because I would have to do other things. And then as I dove into it more and honestly, as I started making this podcast more, I started to realize that there were multiple other creative pursuits that I loved almost just as much as I love music that I had been stifling for years because I was like, oh, if I'm not working on music, that's not what I need to be doing. I need to be working on music. If I have spare time, it needs to go into music. And so I'm in this strange place that I've never been in before where I haven't played guitar for months. I don't want to play my guitar. I occasionally sing. I think sometimes about like, hmm, maybe I might produce that one day or do that. But it's more of this kind of curious thing, like, you know, if I want to do a project, I'll do it. But otherwise, look at all these other creative toys I can play with.
0: Yeah. Well, you're having a hangover. You're having a creative hangover because you worked on a project that you were so passionately invested in. And then it didn't, for whatever reason, pan out in the way that you thought it would, which happens pretty much with every person who writes and records original music at some point, um, unless you're like incredibly one in a million lucky, whatever you work on the first few times, especially like your first few records, like assume that no one's going to listen to them, you know, because that's just what happens. But we don't know that when we make the first one. So you have these like creative hangovers where you're like, man, that didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Or sometimes like, especially for me, if it's was because I'm an engineer too. everything I make like old music and stuff. I'll look back on and be like, man, I wish I did this, man. I wish we did that. You know, like it's very hard for me not to have those tendencies. I'm very proud of the stuff that I've worked on over the years. Um, absolutely. But I still have those moments where I listen back to my old records. And I'm like, man, why did I not add a fifth harmony here? Cause I just would go way too overboard with back and vocals and stuff like that. But like, or like why this guitar should have been X tone and why did I choose this? Because I can't get out of it. And like I think, um, like I said, you were ha- you're having kind of like a creative hangover, which happens, I think, to pretty much everybody. I had it, I I'd go through those phases all the time. I'm only kind of recently coming out of a phase where I barely was writing for like six months and I didn't know why I didn't want to pick up the guitar or whatever um and write. And I'm kind of like on the other side of that now, but it's happened enough times in my life that I can recognize the creative cycles a little bit and focus on other stuff. And it just happens. Like that's just the nature of life. We get distracted. Um, Especially artistic people. I think it's very easy to get distracted by other things like shiny objects that (laughs) we attach to. Like like for me, when I'm not working on stuff, I I've, Produced a hip hop record. I, I, I have a rap album that I'm on. A friend of mine have a, and I have a hip hop record. We did a, we have always kind of like written the hip hop songs on the side. And I just decided I wanted to make a hip hop record with him. And that was a huge distraction for me from the other stuff that I was working on. But I love it. I love that it came out. Um, he's incredibly talented. I view myself as kind of, um, Like, I don't know that that record would have happened for him at that point in his life if I wasn't there to kind of guide him through the process. Because I had been through, like, at that point, I had done, like, probably three or four records of my own. Um, And I just, like, I just wanted to do it. And that's what I did for, like, a year. I just made a hip-hop record, which is a long time. I'm not the kind of guy who can just go in a studio and have a record done in, like, five days. That's just not how I operate, apparently.
1: Is that even possible?
0: I, for some people, I oh had a, a friend of mine had I, we had this conversation, and I told him that I had been working on an album for like four years because my album got deleted. But he didn't know that. I just said, "Well, I've been working on an album for f- for four years," and he said, "That's three and three quarters of a year way too long. <laughs> like, how did you? How does that happen?" But apparently, that's. I think that I think that there are some people that can go in and basically just perform as they perform and like do some, a couple overdubs and that's it. But I just can't do that. And as is with every like creative outlet of mine, creative Avenue, you like between podcasts, between like music design, all that stuff. I'm so nitpicky. And so like, I just want things to be better all the time. Like, I'm just, I I don't know what it is. I just hyper focus on these things and, you know, a record takes me, it takes me a long time to put out a record. It just always does. Um, and that's another thing that I learned over the years. Like you just kind of learn what your creative cycles are and not everyone's creative cycle is the same. Um, for me now I'm working on a new, a full length record with backyard wrestling and and a lot of the music's already written, but We're demoing stuff now. We're doing pre-production stuff and writing drum parts and all that fun stuff like that. I just can't imagine how you can't like how you could do that in a week. You know,
1: I think we spent three uh, months doing that for my record.
0: Pre-production is so important. It's this like stage that everyone just kind of skips. Now they're like, let's rehearse the songs in a room. Like we like rehearse, these songs for a live set and then let's just go in a room and record our live set or whatever. And that's totally fine. But like, I'm thinking about every single kick pattern on the drums, every single drum fill we're dissecting why we're making these decisions and taking those apart. And that's the most fun stuff to me. Like I'm not even, I play drums, but I'm not a drummer. That's not my trade. I can't even really speak drum drummer language you know, drummers kind of have this language that they can all communicate in, but I can't, I'm like, on the outside, I'm like, do this one. And like, he'll be like, okay, do a fill like, go get it, do it. And the drummers are like, yeah, okay. Arson. But they like, I can't explain it in drummer language. It's just not, and I know music theory. I just, I don't know what it is about trying to write drum parts with somebody. That's just not my net, like not a natural thing for me. Um, but I just love that stuff. I love pre-production. I love recording way more songs than you're going to actually use. Like that's a lost art. People aren't really doing that stuff that much anymore. It's like the Rick Rubin method. He'll, I've heard stories of him making musicians write a hundred songs to get one record. And like it eventually like whittling things down and stuff. I just love, I don't know. I love that. I love pre-production. It's, it's a great phase. Um, and everyone just
1: kind of sketches. Maybe you've made several records before, or maybe you're preparing to make your first one. Between my personal experiences and conversations with other musicians, I've found the sweet spot is finding a balance of taking just enough time to make something you're proud of, but not dragging it out too long. If you've made a record and spent lots of time on pre-production, getting everything prepped and arranged beforehand, I wonder what it would be like if you just went into the studio, and recorded it more like a live session, trying things out as you go. You could also flip this experiment and do it the other way. Now let's take a moment to consider this phenomenon that Erison mentions, the hopes and dreams phase. There's no shortage of motivational quotes out there encouraging you to dream big and make those dreams a reality. But one of the main things I consider is the sustainability of a dream. When you hit that 20-year mark, or 40-year mark, How challenging will it be for you to sustain this dream long term? Arison calls it being realistic. Another way I like to think about it is how can I meet all or most of my needs while building a life that invigorates me and makes me happy? So I'm wondering what got you into music in the first place?
0: It's a very specific thing that happened to me. Um, I saw the music video for Buddy Holly by Weezer because it was included in the installation disc for Microsoft Windows 95. And I was uh, like a computer geek kid. And I that was like the first music video that I had on my computer. And I watched it over and over and over again. I must have been like... I don't know, probably 10 years old at the time. And I said, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And (laughs) I just was like, became hyper obsessed with that video and that band. And I grew up very, very poor. And when I say like poor, I mean, like a lot of people think um, they know what poor is. And I, I, I grew up with a lot of siblings. My parents were split up. We were on like public assistance, basically like super, super poor. Couldn't afford music at all. And one day I walked outside and found the cassette tape for Weezer's Blue album on the side of the road covered in dirt. It had fallen out of somebody's car and I picked it up and it was like a blessing from above. And I just like. I think I wept when I found it, like I had I couldn't even believe that this thing had like found its way to me. And then it was, like, from that point on, everything changed.
1: And it was still functioning, the cassette tape?
0: Oh, yeah, it was perfectly functional. It was just covered in, like, mud and dirt. Like, it had just fallen out of somebody's car or whatever. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was very weird. And then I, like, I started actually as a singer first. I was singing in, like, my high school chorus and, like, musicals and stuff like that. And a cousin of mine... I I got a guitar basically like somehow I don't remember how it happened. It was at my house. It was like a rental from the school or something. And my cousin started showing me kiss songs and was like, cause he, (laughs) my cousin was much older than me. He played in, um, like a bunch of hair metal bands that were actually kind of big bands. He was a bass player and he had moved from Florida and he was living in upstate New York. Um, close to us and, and he was much older than me again, but he wanted to play music and he didn't know anybody. So he wanted to teach me to play all these kiss songs with him so he could play bass to like strutter or whatever. <laughs> and a black diamond by kiss and all these, because he was like a super huge kiss fan. So I started learning all these kiss songs on the guitar. And then, um, I just fell in love with the guitar. Like it was from that point on, I think probably probably, For like six years straight or something, I, you couldn't get me somewhere where I didn't have a guitar in my hands. I was just glued to it. My, like the first week I had like shredded my fingers. They were all calloused or like, just like my skin was all coming off. I just wanted to play, um, forever and ever and ever. And that's basically been my pursuit for my entire life now. And also I had been like writing, like I would write melodies, but I didn't know what to do with them. So then as soon as I actually had this guitar and I started figuring out that, oh, I can write with this, that was like a huge game changer. I was writing songs immediately. I I was not a guy, like I did learn a lot of covers. My first band I was in was a cover band. We were actually playing a lot of like progressive rock, like Rush and Genesis and like this 80s prog stuff. Um, But I didn't really, I think I was writing right away, immediately. I just wanted to write. That was like I found it. I finally found this thing that felt like it was, a, like a way to express myself that I didn't have prior, and I think it was about sixteen years old at the time. So, yeah, I just like I, I it consumed me like a spirit, and I just went like I was like possessed, and that was just what I did, and it was like I don't know. I've just wrote and wrote and wrote. I probably have written more than a thousand songs at this point in my life. And I've forgotten way more songs than people have probably ever written. (laughs) I'm so
1: glad I'm not the only one. I haven't written thousands. I've written hundreds, but there are some songs where I look back and I'm like, I have no idea what that melody was supposed to be or how those chords were supposed to be played.
0: What's great is like every once in a while, something will come back to me Uh and I'll be like, Oh my God. I forgot about this. It's like an old friend just showed up and knocked at your door unexpectedly. And it, like, that doesn't happen anymore. People always text first or whatever. Somebody just showing up at your house. That's kind of creepy. But when it's a song, it's the best. Like, I just, I don't know. I, these songs are like, I'll just remember something or I'll play a chord or something on the guitar. You know, it will remind me of something that I wrote, you know, five, 10 years ago. And suddenly it'll feel like a new song again, but I'll no, already know how to play it. I won't have to go through, the painful process of writing it, which that's a whole other thing I could get into because I, I love writing songs too. Like the way I like to describe, um, songwriting is it's like solving a puzzle that doesn't exist yet. I don't know if that makes sense. Like (laughs) there's this puzzle in front of you, but it actually doesn't exist, but you have to get all the pieces in the right place.
1: That makes perfect sense.
0: That's you how can it, see it feels to your head.
1: You just got to figure out what yeah. the pieces are and where they go.
0: I have the it's like I'm creating a puzzle as I'm solving it. And I love that. And it's <laughs> just all of them are different. I've written songs in my sleep. I've written songs dreaming. I've written songs that in 10 minutes um that felt like they just were compelled to get out of my body and I've written songs that took me years to finish. There's like, they're all these different little weird children that I have. And there's like thousands of them. Um, I have an actual child now, a daughter. Her name is Andromeda and she's a weird child of mine too. Hopefully hopefully one day she'll, um, she'll hear some of these songs and, and, you know, feel like they're related in some way.
1: (laughs) Well, at some point, It could be a fun way to get to know the younger version of you. See what you made.
0: It's weird, the thought of um, her hearing the things that I've made and the work that I've done. And actually that was like um, when that record got deleted, when I was going through that entire process, that was especially heartbreaking to me was that I felt like these moments of my life when I was actually like really struggling with $6 in my pocket and stuff, like I was pouring everything into this music and that I, to the idea that it would be lost forever, like really, really, it hurt me. You know, I'm getting emotional. I'm like tearing up as I'm saying this, the idea that this work was just lost is painful, more pain. And and not just for me, other musicians that had worked on it. I had, Some of my bandmates in my live band at the time flew out to Los Angeles from New York to work on it. And like we're supposed to get reimbursed and got burned out of this money, too. Like it was just all these people were affected by it. And I just there's no way. And then to not even have the work, not have the songs, you know, not have this music to show for for the pain was, I think, the worst part.
1: It sounds Um, like a really devastating loss.
0: Yeah. And it's like, you know, we don't think about our legacy. At least I think not like too many musicians don't really think about that. But when you lose something like that, you start thinking about like, you start thinking about some of that stuff. Like, oh, what if I pass away and these songs never get recorded? And this like, what if I get in a car crash tomorrow? And nobody ever hears these songs because this asshole decided to delete them like that. That stuff. These are like the thoughts that I was having through that process. It was really awful. It legitimately was like grieving. I, it took years off of my life and my career, Um, but it was very freeing. Like I've, I said that earlier, like it was incredibly freeing to be able to say like, okay, well now I don't have to rely on anyone. That's never going to happen to me again. I'm never fucking letting that happen again. So now I have to figure out how to con- not just not control. Cause it's not really a control freak thing, but just how to like, just learning how to do everything so that I don't have to rely on some asshole to delete stuff. Like who might delete stuff or might steal a bunch of money or whatever. Like there's so much shady activity in the music industry and particularly with these old fucking dudes in the music industry. I'm sorry. I'm going to go on a rant. Go for it's it. going to be, it's going to be PG 13. I have so much anger at some of these old fucking dudes in the music industry. The old way that things were done, um, before Napster and everyone came along and killed it was to like, charge the consumer, the buyer of music, for this bloated CD so they can get this Britney Spears single or whatever. And like it just it was this gross thing that was this bubble that was absolutely going to burst. And after everything changed, these dudes that had been working in that environment got used to the money, got used to the work from that stuff prior. And when the, the tidal wave came in, they didn't know how to keep swimming they only knew what they were doing before and when they suddenly weren't making the same amount of money when they suddenly weren't could no longer charge the consumer this money they started figuring out how to fuck the artists they started finding ways to charge the artists more money like oh well we need you to sell presale tickets now or whatever like booking okay, agents we need you to pay to play or whatever and like engineers producers people like that we're just looking for wit, And I've met enough of them. Like you don't know how many there are out there. There's a lot of them. These shady predatory fucks who were working in the music industry industry prior to kind of that collapse. And every, like, I can just spot them from a mile away now. I know like, but as a younger person at like 22, 23 years old, I didn't know. <laughs> like I, I was looking for somebody to guide me the way that I guide my podcast clients and stuff, the way that I produce them. I wanted somebody who was able to like push me and make me better and care about the work, the art and the work that I was doing. And instead these fucking people prey on that. And they're like, I don't know. It's just such a predatory thing. And there's so many shitty people and it seems like it's changing, but for like the last 10 years or so, it was, it got really, really bad. Um, I know a ton of people got ripped off and some for way more money than I did um, because the wrong person just like they trusted somebody that they shouldn't have. And the person, and it, again, it's not just my case. I know other people who trusted people that had credentials that had worked on big records, that had Grammys and stuff like that. Not that a, like a Grammy's prestigious, but like, just like credit, somebody you should trust, you know, like somebody who you're like, oh, this guy's a professional and they got fucked. And it happened, it's happened way more times than I think people realize. Um, and I just, I despise that behavior. Like I just loathe those people. And I think that, you know, I was talking about DIY stuff earlier and how everyone's like, yeah, DIY, bruh. Like I've heard that so many times or whatever, but the idea of actually managing yourself has never been easier, never been more tangible. You can look up YouTube videos on how to do almost anything. Like all of this stuff is so easy now that, you know, it used to be, you had to know an engineer who knew how to run everything or whatever. Well, now you can learn how to engineer yourself. You can learn how to produce your own records and it's best to learn uh, you know, engineering and production, with, like by being around people that know how to do it. I think that it's a skill set you have to learn by working with others and working on records. Like you don't get good at making records until you make a bunch of them. But at the same time, you can just learn anything now. There's nothing holding anyone back. It's crazy to me that anyone would still be trying to get a record deal in in 2019 That anyone would be like looking at that model and there's still dudes who are like, hey, I'm going to sign you to my record label or whatever. There's still like those predatory assholes out there trying to use that same model and it doesn't work. Like it's not if you if you're listening to this out there, anyone who is like who thinks that that's the solution for you to sign to a record deal and all your dreams are going to come true. It's not. I'm sorry to tell you that it's not what's going to happen. But what I can tell you is that you can learn anything and make money as a musician. And work as a musician and make anything you want to. And like basically, again, the world is your oyster. Another thing, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this, is that people don't realize when you sign a record deal or when you agree, um, to basically you enter an arrangement like that and you agree that I'm going to make this music, you guys are going to sell it and we're all going to make money. What you don't realize is that when people are financing your music, when they're, where they're financing you as an artist, they expect some to be able to like have some creative control. Like if you make something that you love, they might come along and be like, we're not releasing this song. That as soon as you get other people involved financially, those people also want to be involved creatively and they ultimately want to be in charge of what you make. And that's not fucking cool. That's not cool with me. This is a PG-13 interview. Again, I'm sorry, everyone. It took that turn somewhere halfway through this interview. It took a turn because I got real upset. But that's not (laughs) that's not cool. You know, until you've had somebody telling you, I don't like this song or that you're wrong about something. And usually it's somebody who does not know what they're talking about. Like, isn't a songwriter doesn't like appreciate music the way that you do. You know, I don't believe that anyone should be told how to dress like which I've been told or to lose weight, which I've been told a hundred times by different people in the music industry. I don't believe that people should be told what kind of music they should be making. Fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. This is, I believe in the, the work that I do. I believe in the art that I make. I believe in my music. And I thought that people at a record label or whatever, when they sign you, that it's because they believe in you too, but it's not that they believe in you. It's they, they believe they can, turn you into something that they can sell. That's usually what it is. Um, Not 100% of the time. Like there's indie labels and stuff like that. And that's not really what I'm talking about. Um, But a lot of times that's what happens. And people don't think about that when they're thinking about whether to sign some kind of a deal. Um, That is not like, you don't want somebody to try to control you creatively. I promise you, you don't. Some, like some people might think that's okay. I I promise you if you're like a real... Songwriter who cares about the stuff that you write, it is not fun.
1: So in light of that, <laughs> which I'm, I'm glad you shared that rant because, you know, I've heard whispers over the years about the bad things in the music industry and the way that things have evolved. And, you know, at some point you can only learn so much if you haven't been yeah. in it. And <laughs> so considering how things have changed, what... What is the scope of the opportunity out there? What is realistic for someone to consider as, you know, like it's life supporting kind of music career, because those records that they sold for like $20 just for one really good single, they were bloated. They weren't a great product. And yet streaming isn't exactly... I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong, but you yeah, just can't candy. make money off of that.
0: I So I love those $20 albums, too. I had the Kid Rock one with his middle finger that had the cowboy song on it. Really dug that. <laughs> um, I So I think the opportunity is twofold. First of all, if you're starting out as a musician and you're not famous because, let's face it, you're not. <laughs> and if you want to be, it will take some time. I'm not famous. I've been working for more than a decade at this. And I pro- I might not ever be. And I'm cool with that at this point. Like, that's not what I'm looking to get out of this. But if you're starting out as a musician today, the opportunity to support yourself financially first through remote work is very, very awesome. And as a musician, having a remote job a lot of times means that you don't have to adhere to a specific schedule, not always, but that you don't have to adhere to a specific schedule that you can take whatever days you want off. As long as you're completing tasks that are assigned to you in your spare time, you can support yourself financially doing kind of work on the side and whenever you want. And you have the freedom to like a lot of times it's location independent, which means if you have a laptop, you can hit the road and have a job while you're touring. If you need income, that's a huge game changing thing for a musician. And I don't think most of them realize that this is that this is a thing that they can do. Um, or you could do what I, which is essentially like kind of how I started doing it, or you could do what I did, which is like essentially start a business. It's so easy now to easier than ever to start a business online. Um, That doesn't require you to be anywhere. That's the ultimate, um, the ultimate path to freedom, I think. And I, you know, I'm really fortunate because the first podcast client, the one that left with me that said, we want to work with you is a show about location, independent income and businesses hiring remote workers. (laughs) And it's this fantastic podcast. It's called the Tropical MBA podcast. Um, I've been working with them for now over five years they talk about starting businesses online and how you can make money online and the different ways to do it. And basically like if you, I'm not saying that you have to, but in the infancy stage of your career or even like throughout your career, if you can start a business on the side that's generating income while you're making music, it makes it a lot easier. It's certainly a lot easier to go on tour when you've got, you know, Enough money to pay all your bills coming in, whether you're there, whether you're home or not. You know, that's a big that's a total game changing thing, I think, for musicians and especially original musicians. And then. If you want to make money on your music. To me, like. Since I started back here wrestling, so I had put out records out with. I was originally in a band called the score. We put out records for a couple of years. Um, and then kind of started doing a solo project with a live man. Cause I realized that I couldn't keep <laughs> musicians are an interesting bunch and you can't always keep them around super long and this, different people would leave and go to college and stuff like that. So I started doing a, a like a solo project with a backing band and I did that for several years. Um, they were full band records and I wrote still song, the same songs, essentially. But I toured as a solo artist with a backing band. And so I had this experience on the road. I would, And I realized pretty quickly that if you want to make money every night, it's pretty much merchandise if you're a touring artist. Now, what rules about that... Is that if you can design your own merch and you have really, really interesting merch and you really put the same amount of care into that. If you really take an artistic, like vested interest in making great merchandise, like that's a unique experience for your fan. Like we have enamel pins and a bunch of different, like really fun stuff that I've been designing this merchandise for a while. Like I am always constantly looking for new things to offer people. When my friend and I put out that hip hop record, we didn't release the album on a CD or even vinyl or anything like that. We made a comic book. It's not really a comic book. It's like a detective mystery book that came with a decoder ring. And the only way you could get the album at first, eventually it ended up on streaming platforms, but the only way you could get the album was using this decoder ring to find a secret message in this book and going to a website and entering the the password. And that was the only way you could get the record. And I just thought that, like, we had this idea. I thought it was such a cool idea. And we only made, I think, like 100 of them. And that was how you could get our record for a while. And we sold a bunch of different packages, like pre-sale, with you could buy this detective book in a shirt, or you could buy a detective book and two shirts. And you basically priced it in these ways that encourage people to, to purchase, you know, you get more if you spend a little bit more money. And that was the first time I ever made money on a record. Like up until that point, I had never broken even. And from, like, once I figured out that you could offer these things to people and like make it a cool experience and also just have really fun merch and kind of like invest yourself into that stuff creatively. And it's, that's not for everyone, but like, I really started sinking my teeth into that side of it as well. And to me, if you're in a band and you don't have merch or if you're a musician and you have merch, like you, you kind of only have like a shirt or whatever, you're like missing all like you're, that doesn't make any sense. You're like leaving so much money on the table and you're like completely missing this opportunity to make, like have a lasting impression on somebody. I think a lot of musicians are very um, hesitant to sell. Like they're, they don't like feeling like they're selling something to somebody, whether it's merch or music or whatever, they don't like it's a lot of us are really uncomfortable with it because if it's such a personal thing that we're doing and we don't just feel comfortable selling stuff to people, but I, and maybe it's because I got really good at selling RVs. Um, I, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place with this conversation, but when I was selling RVs, I, um, the reason I sold so many RVs is because I looked at it like I was helping people and I love helping people. And in particular, it was a lot of, People who were, when I was selling motorhomes, it was a lot of people who were nearing the end of their life who wanted to go on an adventure. Mm. And I just like to be the person that was there for that process for them, I got a lot of joy out of it. And I never looked at it as this uncomfortable thing, this selling to people. Like I just, I kind of got over that hurdle in doing that. I think um, when I realized how much you can help people by selling them something, um, even though it's not a smart financial decision to buy an RV, it's like the stupidest thing you could do from a financial perspective. It's, uh, it's the cost of a house and it depreciates like a car. So it's like literally the dumbest thing you could do. But these people didn't care because that's not why they were making the decision. They wanted the adventure. That's what they were there for. And I was just the person that helped them through that process. And You know, I also worked with a lot of sleazy salesmen and stuff. Not many of them, but I've seen some. And like, I think a lot of people when they're selling, think of them like they don't want to feel like that sleazy, pushy salesperson or whatever. I don't want to push my music because I post it on Instagram and people get mad and nobody likes it or whatever. Like, ultimately, if you can view selling your music or your merchandise or anything like that as helping people in some way and how, whatever that means to you. But for me, I look at it as like, you know, I like to think that I have my music has an emotional connection with people. And then I've kind of built an emotional connection with people. Um, and I think of how I felt when I, this is coming full circle found that Weezer cassette and almost broke down into tears how much that meant to me. And if I could somehow like, if I, if selling somebody my music or like merchandise or whatever, if like I can facilitate that connection with somebody somehow, you know, it's not a dirty thing. Like it's not this, you shouldn't feel bad about it that you're building those connections with people. You shouldn't be feel bad that you're trying to make a career out of something that you love because all of these forces in the universe, uh, like these shady industry dudes are like actively working against that. Most people, fans of music, want their money to go to the artist. And the only way that happens is if you're directly selling them something. So you've got to learn how to sell your stuff to people. Um, and you got to get over those hangups and ultimately if you get creative with the stuff that you're making for them, I love seeing the look on somebody's face when they realize that they have to use a decoder ring to find my music. Like that's, that's such a great look. I love that. I just love seeing this confused (laughs) expression on someone's face when that happens. It's just like, if you can own that and find some joy in that process, you know, From that point on, I I think I I don't remember if I said this or not. From that point on, I've pretty much broken even on everything I've made from a music perspective, like recording, which never happened before. And that's why it's because I'm finding ways that are creative and fun to sell it and trying to think of things that I would want. Um, As a consumer, I guess, as a fan of music, I would love to have a book with a decoder ring and be one of the hundred people that gets that or whatever. Like that's just an experience, you know, you're trying to give people experiences, not just, I don't know, not just stuff.
1: All I've got to say is I'm so impressed that you managed to put together that kind of product to sell music.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love it. It's just like, it's, it's the same joy I get out of songwriting and that's and producing that idea that, um, like solving a puzzle. Basically I was trying to figure out for a long time, my buddy and I that made that record, we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. Like, do we want to get vinyl? Do we want to get CDs? We weren't sure. And then like, we had this idea basically to, to do this. And I, we just latched onto it and we started immediately like, how can we do it? It's got to be like a Hardy boys novel, which is what we kind of like modeled it after. And it was a lot of fun. And it's a, it's a weird, weird record. For hip hop record, it's super super weird. I don't think it's like mainstream at all. It's like an experimental hip hop record with songs that are just like all over the place. Um, I love it. I have a like it, it. It holds a very dear place in my heart. But I'm always, I don't know, I'm always looking for something new. Like I'm ne- have never been the person that dwells on old stuff. As soon as something is over with I have to like have the next thing because I know that if I give myself that time in between what's going to happen is I'm going to get that creative hangover like that we were talking about earlier where I'm not going to pick up my guitar for six months or whatever so if I don't hit the ground immediately like okay what am I going to do next then I'll just have that
1: It sounds like also being able to infuse the creative process into things that aren't, I mean, they are directly related to music technically because you're finding ways to support the music and fund the music, but it's not making the music. It's not playing guitar for like 10 more hours a day. Instead you're taking the music and thinking, okay, what can I do to help support that? That's also creative I wonder if that helps you be more resilient as a long-term musician.
0: I think that it does. And I also, this is like another aspect of it that I've really kind of been sticking my teeth into lately. I haven't really talked about this much because we haven't been doing a lot of backyard wrestling. So backyard wrestling, again, that's my primary focus and it has been for a little while. And what we've been doing with backyard wrestling is I've been finding creative ways to make music videos because and this is another thing that I really should actually talk about. Um, Facebook and Instagram marketing are a huge, powerful tool. I actually there's a there's a course on Facebook marketing for musicians. Um, it's an indiepreneur. I don't know if you're like familiar with this website. They basically have teach musicians how to market themselves on Facebook through like paid ads, basically. Um, and what they promote is basically the idea that it's never been easier to target the person that's most likely to be a fan of your music and pay a little bit of money to get your music in front of them through that through Facebook ads and Instagram ads but basically like so using those kind of strategies we've been focusing rather than playing live a lot which We've been in kind of this position. I moved to Rochester. I've never lived here before. don't really know a ton of people here, though I do know some. Um, we transitioned our to a new drummer and we kind of had to take a break, but we've been writing and we were like, well, how can we, during this kind of like uncomfortable phase where we're not really playing out live a lot, where like, how can we still kind of find an audience? So what we started doing was really focusing on making really, really cool music videos, like the type of stuff that we love that and would get excited about and marketing them on Facebook and stuff. So we have a music video we did. I am a huge professional wrestling fan. This is all throughout my entire life. And it, it has weaved itself into our music as well. And it's part of backyard wrestling is rooted in that it's actually backyard wrestling is myself and my brother, Adam. And we both grew up um, watching wrestling and we had a trampoline in our backyard and we wrestled all the time. (laughs) All of our siblings did. So it's like, it's kind of like a nod to that, which is also kind of similar to Weezer. And I realized this later on that Weezer was like a childhood nickname of Rivers Cuomo. So it's like a weird, similar thing in that regard, but I didn't, wasn't, wasn't thinking about, about that when it happened, but
1: just accidental, um,
0: <laughs> right? accidental, as is most of my, anything that I say is completely accidental. There's no purpose behind any of this anyway. So I'm a huge wrestling fan. I contacted this wrestling company called Kaiju big battle. And I originally heard of Kaiju big battle on ESPN because they did like a little mini documentary about them. It's basically it's professional wrestling, but it's all of the wrestlers are dressed up like monsters, like Japanese movie monsters. And they set up these like cardboard cities in the ring and they have the, the monsters fight. It's like <laughs> that's the gimmick. It's basically <laughs> you go to these shows and there's like these cr- crazy monster costumes. And you see the guy dressed as a giant hamburger bear wrestling like. <laughs> Uh, a lizard dragon or whatever and like and there's cardboard flying everywhere and props and there's a villainous evil Dr. Cube who it's just like this whole universe basically of like comic book Japanese movie monsters and I thought it was the coolest thing and I emailed them and I said hey I'm in this band Backyard Wrestling I have this song would you license footage to us to make a music video And I don't know what, how I got the idea of doing that. I I just thought about it and was like, I'm just screw it. I'm just going to email these people. And I got an email back and they were like, give us a couple hundred bucks. We love your song. And then that's what I did. And we paid someone to edit it. And we have a music video with Kaiju big battle, which they have their own fan base out there that loves Kaiju big battle. And I used Facebook marketing to target people specifically who were fans of Weezer fans of similar bands to us and also fans of these different wrestling pages. Like you had to like one of each a wrestling page and a band page and hyper targeted the video to those people. And the response was crazy. Like I think I spent, man, I don't know. 60 bucks in ads or something like that. And the whole thing has been viewed like more than a hundred thousand times.
1: Only $60 on,
0: on 60 bucks. But I mean, yeah, it's been a a weird thing how that kind of happened. And like there's organic sharing and stuff like that. But like, yeah, we, (laughs) (laughs) that that's easily been our most successful thing that we've done as a band so far, just because, you know, and it, the, I think the entire project, including the ads and the footage and the editor and stuff, was less than
1: $500. That's incredibly
0: impressive. God so we damn. just got creative. <laughs> yeah. We just got super creative. We were like, okay, well, we love wrestling. Let's get a hold of this wrestling company. Well, can we, how do we get this? Like, who actually would like this? You just think about, like, who would like this? Like, Who would want to see these monster suit, like these monsters wrestling and listen to our song while it's these people would have to like these things. And that's what like. That's how we, we just utilize that system. And it's so easy. Like people just don't realize how easy it is to target people. And if you like really actually put thought into this, like, you know, people are like, I hate seeing Facebook ads and I think ads suck. So I'm ads are so stupid. But if you're advertising to people that are almost guaranteed to like you, you probably would feel a lot different about it (laughs) because then you're just putting this thing in front of them that they would want to see anyway. You know,
1: I'm having this weird moment right now listening to you talk about this where there's these like. Connections being made with things that I wasn't expecting there to be connections from. So
0: that's like that's that's like oh
1: my god! <laughs> so I had this. I don't know how, where even to start with this, but the short version is, I've been thinking about entrepreneurial things through the lens of an entrepreneur more than I have a musician, for most of the time that I wanted to be a musician. Because my dad was an entrepreneur, all of his friends were entrepreneurs, so it just rubbed off. And one entrepreneur friend of mine recommended that I get a trade to support my music, something that I enjoyed, but also something that didn't take all of my say creative juice so that I still had room to do my music and so I started doing marketing and I realized that there's a really nerdy part of my brain that loves things like quantum physics and then there's obviously the really creative part of my brain and marketing just fuses those things to I can't talk sorry fuses those no, two yeah. things together beautifully and so I've spent the past year as I moved away from music diving a little bit more into marketing. And pretty much every person I've ever found that I respect that has some amount of, say, success in the marketing world talks over and over and over again about getting specific. And the more specific you are, the more you create something for a specific person and really think about what they would actually enjoy. The more likely they are to actually enjoy it, and so if you as a musician get really specific, you do badass things like make a music video for a band called Backyard Wrestling with a wrestling TV show with was it Japanese monsters?
0: Yeah, it's like Godzilla, like a bunch of guys in in crazy monster suits. <laughs> it's it's very strange, I'm but strange. yeah, again. You're absolutely right. It's the the hyper specific thing, because I've always had this thing as a musician. And again, it was like that hopes when I was in that hopes and dreams phase, I was always like, man, if I could just get my music in front of people, like if I could just get people to listen to it, I know people would love it. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. I mean, I toured and everything. I was like working my ass off and I just never felt like I was breaking through and it's like so easy to like. I paid sixty dollars to do that. No, you know what I mean. Like, it's so stupid, but it's so easy to specifically target those people. And um, while we're on this subject, earlier I was talking about remote work. Like, if you're a musician and you and you need side work, like work remotely.
1: I do. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, are Learning how to do Facebook ads, taking some courses on Facebook ads, learning how to really use that system. That's a good skill set that you could use remotely. Like, and it still applies to your music. That's why I'm an audio engineer remotely. Like that, all this stuff is intertwined with me. Graphic design, audio engineering, Facebook marketing, all this stuff that I like do professionally now, which is weird to say, is also stuff that I do for my music. And I still find time for music. Music is still like the most important thing to me besides my wife and my daughter. I, I, it's impossible. It's never going to leave. I, like I said, I've been possessed. I have this the, the spirit of it in me. It's never going to go away. But I've just found these other skills that I can use to help support that.
1: I'm beginning to wonder if that's what any musician who realistically wants to have a career As a musician, if that's the way of thinking and the way of living, that is just going to be necessary to adopt.
0: I think it is. I mean, I think, but it's it, which is a little scary, I guess, but it's actually really exciting because it's so easy to adopt that. Like. You could go and watch tutorials on Facebook on YouTube for how to make Facebook ads for the next, I don't know, like week or two. And by the end of it, if you like really commit to learning how to do it, you could go get some jobs on Upwork or whatever, or apply to be a Facebook ad manager for a company. Cause like remotely, there's tons of them hiring for those types of jobs. If you really just commit to that, spend a little bit of your side time on that, like the skills that you'll learn on that job will apply to your music. They always do. I've never, like, I mean, even selling the RVs, I think that that was applicable knowledge because I learned stuff there that I didn't expect either and some sales stuff too and just valuing myself. Like there's at a time when I really needed to, when I had just been ripped off. Like, I, I think that most jobs out there that you take you can learn something from to apply to your music and your career. But especially if you like get into learning how to, to like be an audio engineer or, uh, editing videos, that's one that I don't really know how to edit videos. I always hire it out. I don't feel confident. I've thought about learning. Um, but it just doesn't seem like a great way to spend time, like spend time since I'm constantly learning and working on stuff all the time now. Um, If you were a great video editor, you could get some side work that way, you know, like all these different things that you can get, that you can learn how to do and make money remotely doing them. I think that that's really exciting. And that a lot of people don't realize that that's even an opportunity.
1: So coming back to this thing where I had this belief, which I've come to conclude was false that how do I put this? I feel that in the time that I spent as a child to now dreaming about being a musician and what that would be like to have that as my life and say, yes, I'm a musician and I'm damn good at it and people love my music. I feel like there's this false belief in our society at this point where unless you can make... Full time income off of your music, you're either not a quote professional musician, or you're just not that good or not good enough. Like, am am I making sense? This kind of
0: oh, you are. I I had kind of that same belief for a long time that well, if I'm not like a working musician, then I'm not a real professional
1: because success is so subjective.
0: It's funny. I'm going to say this. This is another one of those weird full circle moments. That song I'm talking about, the one with the the, the monsters wrestling in costumes with the cardboard buildings. Um, um, there's a line in it. That's about that specifically, like a lot of the music that I've been writing, like these ideas have been kind of seeping into my songwriting. And there's a line in that because I just was having a hard time dealing with feeling like I had failed at this thing I worked at for a long time. And I realized that the definition of success is different for everybody. And the line in the song is, and I hope that I remember it because now that I'm saying it, as for success, you decide what that is. I'll design my life exactly how I want to live. And it's the idea that basically my definition of success is going to be what it is. Like I, I I want to be in control of that. I'm not going to be successful because I have some record deal with some guy that like some sleazy dude that basically is making all of my money. Like uh, that's not success. Success is what I define success is. Success is writing great music. Success is making really cool shit and somehow finding a way to make some money while you're doing it. That's success to me. A success isn't millions of people hearing my music. That's not what success is. I don't think, I mean, it is for some people. And it maybe was for me at one point, success is going into a room full of 10 people and turning that place upside down. Success is having people tell you, I saw you five years ago, or I heard your song and it changed my life. That's success for me. Like all these different things mean success and it's not what I thought it was going to be. But that again, that's so freeing when you can accept that, that success is actually whatever you would decide it is like, it's not what other people think success is. That doesn't matter. It's a very internal thing, whether you've succeeded at something or not. So by putting your idea of success into like, well, if I like, other I will only be viewed as a successful musician if I'm doing it full time or whatever. Like, sure. If that's what you want out of life, you can find a way to do that and be a working full time musician. I know lots of those people. Um, There's different paths to do that, you know, but for me, that's not success. Like it is kind of, but for me, if I can just make cool shit, that's success. If I can change people's lives the way that I was changed when i first heard songs that like first got that Weezer album out of the dirt, like and wept that if I could give somebody that feeling that's success for me, even if it's one person. So like, I I don't know, that's so much more gratifying to have that connection with one person than to have a, a fleeting connection with millions. And like, I don't know, as soon as I kind of like rethought how I, what success actually meant to me, Everything changed. That was like a huge mental breakthrough that I had to have because I was really struggling for a long time after, after losing that record and stuff. That was a breakthrough that I really, really needed to have that like what actually defines success when you sit down and think about it to you, what's valuable to you, what do you want to get out of this life and making like, what do you want to get out of making music? What are you looking for? You know? And for you, it seems like having these conversations is important to you. I, yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that that's something that you're getting out of this, too. Like you want to have these conversations because they're important to you. And you think that sharing these conversations with other people is important because it is. And that's also why I get into podcasting and why I like get so amped up about it and helping other people um, make their podcasts is because I love sharing that. So I love having those like helping those people make those connections and like s- seeing how they react when, when listeners will write into them and say, this really made a huge difference for me when you, this podcast that you did like this changed my life because I've been very fortunate. Again, the, the first client that I had, the tropical NBA podcast, those guys have changed a lot of people's lives. And I'm not just tooting their horn because I love them both. The two hosts, Dan and Ian, um, I just love them. I don't get to tell them enough that, like, they changed my life. I know a ton of other people whose lives they've changed just because they're hearing these new ideas about working remotely and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And to be part of that and, like, sharing that message and, and feeling like I'm contributing to the world in some way, it is rewarding. Ultimately, we all are looking for rewarding feelings in the work that we do, you know? Yeah. And that's like having these conversations for you, like, doesn't mean that you're going to stop making music. Like, it doesn't mean that you're just not a musician now because, oh, I didn't make money doing it. So I guess I'm not this. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's such a weird, I can only do one thing. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Like, come on. You're clearly a musician. Because you make great songs. That's the only thing that <laughs> the, the only question is do you make music? Yes, you're a musician. Congratulations. Like, that's it. And you're successful. Did you, did you successfully make some a sound out of an instrument or whatever? Yeah, cool. Yeah, success. Like, that's it. There's no, that conversation doesn't need to go any further than that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad
1: you said that. Because I think there's a lot of great things about social media, but there's also a lot of things that social media has brought out of our culture that are not helpful. And I think one of them is people have become even faster to judge someone on their outside appearance. And so if you don't have X number of followers or you don't make X number of dollars, specifically from music, you are less of a musician or less worthy even of being a musician. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, for a long time, I knew that success was subjective. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, if I am a musician, what kind of success do I want? And at some point I just realized that, the success that I wanted from my life was to be able to share amazing stories. And yes, some of those stories are produced in the form of songs. Others are going to be in a podcast. Others I write or I help someone make a change because I helped them sell something that someone else needed. And I think at the end of the day, I realized that not feeling like I had to spend every waking minute or second of every day thinking about music or making music or consuming music in order to be a musician was the most liberating thing I've ever had in my life.
0: Yeah. It actually sucks to do that. I did that. <laughs> it's
1: terrible. I, It sucks to
0: do that. It sucks to be on the road and like have, you know, five minute conversations with everybody and never have friends that like you're basically in this van with all these smelly dudes and they're all like, <laughs> you're getting sick of each other and you love each other, but you're just getting sick of being around the same people. And, you know, that the van breaks down. Well, you just lost a grand because you didn't make it to your next show. Like all that, like that stuff sucks. It's it's fun. Like I love being on the road. Don't get me wrong. But like that's not ultimately nowhere near as gratifying to me as like making cool shit. Making cool shit's the best thing. Like that's I basically found a way to be involved in making a bunch of cool shit and make a living. I'm blessed. There's no way that that should be my life, but it is. I have no idea how that happened. Um, I've had a lot of crazy ups and downs in my career as a musician. I was an addict for a long time. I overdosed. I almost died. That was terrible. Um, a lot of, for a lot of my career as a musician, I thought I was on borrowed time kind of, um, and I think that that really affected the way that I treated my career, I think. And like the hopes and dreams thing. I think that, that a lot of that was fueled by the fact that, you know, I felt like I was like, not borrow time. That's not, but like, I don't know. I felt like weirdly, like I didn't deserve any of it, you know, like mm-hmm. that. It just, there's a lot, like a, a lot of that stuff was it, like, like, Affected the way that I treated my career too. And it wasn't until I like legitimately got sober and also really started to treat myself better and with respect. um, And basically gave up on the idea that someone was going to save me. I think that that was like, I don't think any of this would be happening. I'm still in shock that I have a wife and a daughter in a house to like in a studio in my house. And I can pay all the bills all the time and eat. I'm eating. I like, I just scraped together quarters to get Taco Bell on the road. You know, I was sleeping, it's sitting up in a van chair or whatever. I'd slept on people's couches for like five years. The idea that I have a home with a bed and food in the fridge and stuff like it's bizarre. And then I still get to make cool shit. Like, you don't have to go sleep on people's couches. What are you doing? If you're out there and you're sleeping on people's couches uh, and grinding away, like more power to you. But there's a way to make money and be a musician at the same time. Now, um, like if I could have worked remotely when I was in my early twenties and stuff, like I might not have moved to LA with $6 in my pocket. I might've like, like, A lot of the problems that I had back then, if I knew what I knew now, obviously it could have been completely avoided. Uh, I, I am one of those people who thinks that things happen for a reason. It's just that's how my brain operates. Like. I am definitely one of those people. And I think that, you know, I had to go through all that stuff to figure this stuff out. Like. That you have to have that that down like. And it was re- like the lows, it was really low to go through that stuff and, um, to come out of it on the other side. Like, it, like I said, it's bizarre. I I feel like I'm, I have no idea what I did to deserve any of this. This is where I'm at in life now, I guess. And I get to make cool stuff and I get to help other people make cool stuff and they get excited. And when they get excited, I get even more excited because i remember what it was like to not have anyone helping me. I remember what it was like feeling like, man, I wish someone would just have helped me and shown me how to do this or whatever, like cared about my art. And now I can care about these people's art and help them create the things that they want to create. Cause I think podcasting is an art form. I can, you know, to help these people bring their ideas to life um, and give them the help that I wish that I had in my career early on. It's like a, a huge blessing to me, too. Like, that's just a very rewarding experience.
1: I think that's probably the best kind of creative life that you could live.
0: And again, I want to stress this as much as I love my family, love my life, my work, I'm making cool shit, like, I'm not in the hopes and dreams phase because. And I'm happy that I'm not because I'm in the this is real phase like and once reality, like the reality of what it means to be a creative person, what it means to be an artist, what it means to be a musician, a producer, all these things. Once that becomes real and not hopes and dreams, but actual real life, that's the best. Like you you should be so happy that you're not in that phase anymore.
1: That's definitely something I can agree with just from the little personal experience I've had.
0: (laughs) The hopes and dreams phase for me was the worst phase of my life.
1: I was miserable (laughs) all the
0: time. Yeah. It's awful. So just this is now it's real and real life is that, you know, there's ways to do this stuff. There's ways to make money and be creative. And you know, if you like apply yourself and really, Think about how to like be smart about it, work smart instead of just relentlessly working harder and touring forever and ever and sleeping on people's couches. Well, instead of doing that to get your music in front of people, pay $60 in Facebook ads or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. why well, I, I achieved more with that than I ever achieved grinding out and sleeping on people's couches. So, 100,000 people listen to my song or whatever. I don't know that that I mean, I might have, but I'm pretty sure that that did not was not happen to me when I was sleeping on people's couches. So, um, yeah, I don't there's no reason to do that anymore unless you legitimately really love it. And then in that case, by all means, go balls to the wall. (laughs) I, I will always support somebody who wants to work hard and grind as a musician and sleep in a van or sleep on people's couches. I love those people. I love that, like seeing driven people do that shit. But you know, I just don't think that there's a reason to do it that way anymore because the the game has changed, and we have to change to the to like the new rules, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the rules are in our favor now. They weren't before, you know. All those these musicians that you love and respected growing up, you hear all these stories for a lot of them about how they're like. They died broke. (laughs) They had $30 to his name. Or
1: they died miserable with lots of money. Yeah. So speaking of making cool stuff and lots of cool stuff, I don't buy into this idea that you need to have unlimited amounts of time to work on your art to make it good. But at some point, you do need some time to work on music or podcasting or whatever your main thing is. So how do you find ways to protect the time that you have for music in addition to all these other things?
0: Well, it's really, it's a matter of first of scheduling and then prioritizing. So like there are days of the week that are my music days. That's like what I'm focused on doing pre-production for our record and rehearsing. That's what I like. There's certain days of the week that are devoted to that. Other days I'm like working for clients and helping them. And I have clients all over the world, which makes it a little complicated because, you know, I'm on, sometimes I'm on their schedules and it's like my sleep can get a little erratic, but it was always erratic. That hasn't really changed much. Like it's just a matter of saying, well, what's actually important to me? Well, for me, it's my daughter and my wife, then music. And then work in that order. And I had make sure that I have time for my daughter, my wife. I block away my music time. And then everything else is work pretty much like, obviously you got to pay the bills, you know, you got to eat, you got to, I have a daughter I have to support. So work stuff is important. But like, I, to me, there still are, is that time where I have to devote X amount of hours a week to, and it changes week to week, like some weeks when we're really heavy into rehearsing for specific things, like I put aside more time. Um, but for the most part, I mean, you really do have to prioritize. And I have never been a structured person. I've been a messy person my whole life. My room is a mess. My life is a mess. That's how I've always been. But I had to learn and really take to heart the idea that this time that I'm setting aside is time for art and music. And this is just what it's for. And I'm always doing it, you know, and if you prioritize things correctly, and if you do, you know, again, remote work really helps this. If you can get yourself a job that is flexible or like, you know, start a business or whatever, and have it be flexible around your work schedule or around your music schedule, then like, again, the world's your oyster. I'm not beholden to any specific hours unless I have a meeting or something and I've scheduled it with somebody. I work on podcast stuff whenever I have a chance and I do a lot of work on podcast stuff. I, you know, I pretty much work a full-time job and then some and do music and spend time with my wife and my daughter. But those, that's pretty much all I do. So, you know, and when the time comes, if I do go on the road again, which we've been having conversations about, Um, if that does happen, then, you know, I will prioritize that over my work and I'll delegate more work to the people that work with me and I'll, you know, just like, you just have to prioritize stuff correctly. Like I'll make my, schedule my work life around that. And that's the beauty of working remotely or being an entrepreneur. Really? Again, I really hate using that word because I don't (laughs) think of myself that way, but
1: you totally um, are.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I am, and I always have been, and it's a weird thing that I had to embrace as well, because um, I always thought entrepreneurs were like these like dudes in uh, Silicon Valley or whatever. But I met—I've met a lot of entrepreneurs through my work on entrepreneurial podcasts and stuff like that, and they're all just as weird as the musicians I know. Like they're all weird. And maybe <laughs> people that's that are. Yeah. And they're eccentric or whatever. And I think that the idea of being entrepreneurial always was like, felt like a dirty word. But then once I met people that were doing so like, oh yeah, I started an online business selling cat furniture. (laughs) That's a funny. It's just like, yeah, oh yeah. I I started an online business selling cat furniture and you're like, Oh wow. This guy's weird too. (laughs) He just, I don't know. Like I do have a lot in common with those people. And I found like, I, it's not a dirty word to say that you're entrepreneurial. Um, it just sounds like it is because of kind of the way I think that musicians think about commerce and selling themselves and stuff like that. But like, I don't know entrepreneurs are weird people and it's cool to be weird, I think. And I like embracing that side and hanging out with those people and getting to know those people too. Like in person, I've spent a lot of time with them too. Like you just realize how much you have in common. If you're, especially if you're an original musician that has been like touring or marketing yourself in any way, like really all musicians are essentially entrepreneurs because you're selling yourself a little bit. So you are, you have so much in common with these people. So it's easy to embrace. And I know that you said earlier, and I, I, this is a little bit off topic, but you mentioned how you thought being a successful musician meant making all of your money full-time playing music. There's this artist, um, his name's Sam Means. He played in a band called The Format. I don't know if you're familiar with them.
1: Unfortunately uh, not
0: so the others the other guy that was in the format um is in the band fun he went and started the band fun
1: i do know that guy.
0: yeah so they split up and the format is an amazing band i actually preferred the format to fun sorry fun but <laughs> sam means um put out a record a couple years back and he'd been kind of on my radar like or, he'd been off my radar for a while after the format broke up because he kind of like If you were a fan, you followed fun. And I did, but Sam just kind of like, what didn't do anything. And he released an album a while later. And I started kind of looking into him and he had been scoring music for stuff, but he had also started a t-shirt company, like a merch company. And I was like, Oh, here's this guy who I really respect and think is this great musician. I think of him as this like hugely successful professional musician. And he's, he started a t-shirt company. Like, of course he did. You know what I mean? Like, I totally understand why now at this point in my life. But that idea that, you know, success means you have to be this touring, working musician all the time is not true for everybody. Like, I respect Sam Means immensely as a musician, but I also to see that he's like entrepreneurial in some way is really exciting too, because like, I totally get why you know? And it is, it's again, it's kind of like what I'm doing. It's tangentially related. He's doing merch. He's doing t-shirts. Like, of course, (laughs) it's the same thing. You know what I mean? And it's all, it's just like I was saying to my podcast client, it's all the same shit. Like once you figure out that everything's the same and like, it's just this big sandbox, basically the world of marketing and, you know, production and creation and all this stuff. You're just in this big sandbox with all these different cool things to do. If you can embrace that, it's so fun.
1: So before we go, can you help me tell everyone else where we can find your music, where we can find your podcast company, anything else you want to share?
0: Sure. Um, You can find first, my solo music is at arisoncain.com. That's A-R-I-S-O-N-C-A-I-N.com. My band, uh, Backyard Wrestling, is at BackyardWrestling.com. That's Backyard-Wrestling.com because somebody owns that domain name. Um, Backyard-Wrestling.com. That's mostly what I'm working on musically right now. And that's we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. And there's a lot of weird music videos like the Japanese wrestling music video we were talking about earlier. we got a couple other ones on there, too. Um, my clothing company is called stepdad apparel and that's at stepdadapparel.com um and my podcast production company is at halfwayhomemedia.com you can find me you can find me on instagram at errisoncaine um and if you want to reach out to me directly please just email me um HarrisonCane at gmail.com. Yeah, just reach out to me. I'm happy to help anyone. Like if you are in a similar position to what I was in or any of this like connected with you in any way, please just reach out to me. I love helping people, especially musicians and especially people who are struggling. So if you hear something here and it like caught your attention or you think it can help in any way, absolutely reach out to me.
1: It was a pleasure speaking with Arison about his experience in the music business and helping you find your own way as we all have to create a different blueprint, a different path to follow of what it means to be a successful musician. So rather than come up with something new that I was prompted to think about as a result of the interview like I usually choose to end my episodes with, today I invite you to just sit with everything that you heard and take from it what you will. There's at least one piece. Maybe it's getting more creative with how you do your merch. Maybe it's learning how to do something that you didn't know how to do before so that it's easier for you to record music and release it. Whatever it is, you can pick one thing.